Welcome back to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. We are here with your weekly NIL Hour. My name is Mike Lawson. I am here today with Holly Summers. Taryn is swamped with some work, so me and Holly are going to take over for today. Holly, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. It's been a while. You've been pretty busy, so I know. Be back on. Glad to be back. We have a, a short episode here. A, a lot's happening, but nothing crazy. You know, a lot of potential updates, talking about changes, right? We've got California proposing a bill for revenue sharing with athletes. We've got the NCAA looking into potentially changing the rules for their national letters of intent and their individuals associated with prospective student athletes as it relates to inducements. We've got collectives that are lobbying in front of Congress for federal and uh, NIL bills. And you went to the NIL summit in Atlanta. So we're going to hear you know your take on that and, and how that went. As well as also we're going to cover at the end the BYU NIL deal that they have with built protein bars and a little bit of a controversy that they had. So a lot to cover, a lot to unpack here. But first, we're going to have a message from our platform, Spotify. And as always... We are also sponsored. This podcast is sponsored by Better Edge. For right now, if you use our promo code CONDUCT, C-O-N-D-U-C-T, you get $20 for free on your signup. Uh, that is betteredge.com. And you use our code CONDUCT for $20 for free bets. Obviously, if you've been watching our podcast, we're very closely connected with Better Edge. Dan and Conlon have their own kind of segment where they talk about different lines. Conlon during the football season always does his Conlon picks. So definitely head over to Better Edge and check them out. It's a great betting platform. And again, code conduct for $20 free. All right, Holly, name, image, and likeness. You know, this is our NIL hour. Uh, we always have fun. We've got, you know, next week, we're probably going to have some guests on to talk about some updates. Nothing really happening uh, as it relates to NLRB. Uh, we, we covered that a, a, a couple weeks ago. The NCAA did put in their response, but uh, no surprise here. They basically denied everything, denied, you know, any sort of control and basically said that the NLRB, you know, shouldn't have jurisdiction over this matter. An interesting facet of that two where they basically brought it against USC and then the NCAA and Pac-12 as a joint employer. So a way to kind of get the NCAA involved. But as that unravels, we'll have more updates, but nothing really on the, on that front. So we'll stay in California. And there was a proposed bill uh, in California for revenue sharing with student athletes. So Holly, do you want to just take a, take a, a shot at what this bill kind of means? And, and we can kind of dive in from there. Yeah, so the bill is called the College Athlete Protection Act. It was introduced, like you said, last Thursday. Basically, it's going to require all California colleges and universities to kind of share a percentage of their revenue with the athletes in sports that earn twice as much revenue as that sport spends on the athletic sponsorships or scholarships. So basically, that's being football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and it's based on how much revenue the programs earn on a annual basis. One of the main points, I think, of the bill was that it is not consider athletes, employees of their universities, which goes back to what we were talking about with the NLRB, but basically it does require schools to provide medical care and scholarships for athletes after their eligibility if kind of they 
get cut within three years, I think it was, of their entering into college and the university itself. It's interesting. Tara and I were talking about this the other day, and we were just talking about this before. It, it's almost like they're skipping the employee status, right? They're they're going, they're jumping yeah. right into this revenue sharing, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I think this is an awesome opportunity here. And there's so many fronts, right? We keep talking about that the NCAA is just being attacked on all fronts here. And this is just an, an it's almost skipping the step. This is something that I foresaw would happen after the determination of student athletes to become employees, especially right. like you said, health insurance and, and and paying for things like that. Those are employee benefits, right? So yeah, it's almost like they're skipping the, we won't call them employees because that's a harder fight. And we'll just go into a revenue sharing because we can make that determination on our own as a state by state basis. What's interesting, and I, and I wonder what you think, the biggest thing, obviously, of course, it's California. California was the first as well for uh, name, image, and likeness. And, and it, it snowballed from there. But what California is doing is they're also creating, it's a race to the bottom here for every state to to have some sort of similar bill pass through because it's an incentive, I guess you could say, for a student athlete to go to a school in California now because they have a chance to earn up to $25,000 a year from a revenue sharing, potentially more than $25,000 and we'll talk about that in a little bit of what that might look like. It, it, there's a lot to flesh out here. I think it's good, but I think there's still more to, to flesh out. But it's encouraging for student athletes to think that, okay, maybe maybe I'm not the best prospect for a name, image, and likeness deal, right? Obviously, name, image, and likeness is a big opportunity. You have these athletes with these major deals, multi-million dollars that they're getting paid right. for these NIL deals. But now you have maybe the the four-year guy, the guy who's there for all four years, gives if he's, I'm thinking just thinking basketball off the top of my head, right? If he, he gives you a solid 10 to 15 minutes a game, maybe as he gets older, he plays more, you know, more in the game, but he, he plays four or five years. He's there for the long term. He wants his degree. That's, that's an easy $25,000 a year that that person can make. And I think it's maxed out at six years. You have to get your degree within six years, right? So, right. Hey, that's what is that? $150,000 that you can get that, you know, on top of name image like this too, because you can still get name image like this deals, but now you're guaranteed to get $25,000 a year. There's an interesting caveat. I mentioned it before, Holly, the, the, the excess over the $25,000. So you had mentioned a, a book that you're reading that had some sort of something similar, but what, what do you see would happen here where, so, all right, so the proposal is that they would get up to $25,000 so long as it meets a threshold of revenue and excess, like you said, of, of what they're spending on the uh, on it so if they are potentially to get more than twenty five thousand dollars what would that look like so basically if they get more than twenty five thousand dollars and this could be numbers like we're talking in the millions potentially because of these revenue sharing options it would basically be put into a trust so that players can then access that money after they graduate they have to successfully graduate from the university to receive this money. But as long as they complete their degree, they can receive this money that's been in this trust for however many years. That's basically all the extra revenue sharing money that they can receive. Now, I wonder if, and and I haven't, I, I don't think the text of this bill, this is just a proposed bill right now. I don't know if the text was available. I wasn't able to find it myself. But I wonder if there's some sort of waiver, right? You said that you have to complete your degree there. Say you are an athlete that chooses after three years to go to the NFL, doesn't finish your degree. 
one and done athlete that, you know, doesn't finish your degree at that university. Are you still eligible or do you waive that amount of money based upon the language as I'm seeing it come out? It would, it would seem to me that you would waive that amount of money. Yeah. Um, at least that's my understanding. But then you also have the issues of what if you transfer? So is it stuck to the undergraduate degree that you receive at that university or because it's California, so long as you transfer to another California state, you still have access and you're not waiving your rights to that. Because I would imagine if you transferred out of a, a California school, then maybe that that still applies. So there's there's a lot of nuances there. And again, that's yeah. we're just speaking in what ifs there, but very, very interesting. Another piece of this, too, is that there would be a regulatory body that California would create where there's 21 members appointed by the governor, the assembly and the Senate which would develop rules for these athletes and as well as create this kind of regulation as it relates to the, the the revenue sharing here. But what I found interesting too is this regulatory panel is going to get up to $7 million of an operating budget that's also paid through the school. So the school right. is now funding a new governing body that would oversee their revenue sharing uh, plans. And, and and all of this, I, I imagine, I, I worked in my compliance you know, office when I was in Syracuse. I just imagine that this is just an, an absolute overhaul for compliance offices for all this regulatory work, which is it's crazy. I, again, I, I'm all for mm-hmm. it. I think it's great. Right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot happening. And it's, yeah. I can only imagine that the heads that are spinning in compliance offices. Oh, for sure. And one of the things that you reminded me of when you talked about the potential for student athletes transferring or entering the transfer portal or potentially even not completing their degree is there was an option for the Olympic sports to also take part in the revenue sharing. But instead of receiving a certain percentage or 50% of whatever the school makes from the revenue from their sport, they would get the increase in the revenue from year to year. So if in 2020, 2023, women's gymnastics makes like $30 million. And then in 2024, they make $40 million. The athletes split that $10 million is basically what I read. So since that's more school specific, I feel like students who might want to transfer to a different school kind of forfeit that amount of money that they might've been able to get. Mm -hmm. However, I don't know if the $25,000 payments apply to those sports as well. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And you said it too about this sharing evenly and the women's and men's sports. Some of the arguments against this are the sports that don't generate the revenue, some of the lower end sports, and specifically some of the female sports that just aren't revenue based. And I blame that on TV deals and whatnot too. That's not at any fault of, I mean, I, I please implore you all to go watch like a women's lacrosse game and tell me it's not competitive and exciting. Like it's a, it's a great it's, no matter what, it's a great atmosphere. But so if you compare like a women's softball game to a men's basketball game, obviously a men's basketball game, because of the TV deals and whatnot, they're producing a lot more money for the school, but it's an even split. It, whatever the revenue is as, as, a, as an umbrella, it's an even split across it. So there, so there has to be, as a part of this, with this regulatory body, you have to submit Title IX compliance reports at the end of, end of the year too, to make sure that you're not violating any Title IX issues with revenue sharing as it relates to female athletics and, and men's athletics as well. So a lot more is going to develop here, especially now, like I said, there's going to be a race where states are going to have some sort of similar bill that might be carved out. And this is still being fleshed out. This is just a newly, you know, the assembly passed this bill, but I'm sure there's going to be some some line item uh, changes that need to be made here. But do you have anything else on this one? 
just said it would take effect January 2024 if all goes according to their plan or so I guess it could be as early as then we might get it later if it doesn't pass so if some issues come up or if they need to fix it but that's pretty soon I mean it's like half a year away be interesting to see how it how it works that is quick and unlike California because the last time they were two years out so now that it's it's right around the corner I I think that it really does put the pressure on some of the states because they want to be the first to pass some sort of bill so other news here we mentioned at the top today and tomorrow there is some lobbying going on in front of Congress up until now any sort of federal NIL bill has been very pro NCAA, restricting collectives, restricting universities' ability to help and assist and educate their athletes as it relates to NIL deals, and really being in favor of NCAA policies as it relates to name, image, and likeness. We've had guests on to talk about the issues here where, you know, an NCAA favorable bill that would preempt any state bills uh, would, would be detrimental to, to certain athletes and, and student athletes as a whole and collectives and, and universities in their communities. But now what we have is we have collectives going in front of Congress. So Holly, do you want to talk about mm-hmm. who is going to be in front of Congress today? And It was today that started yeah. and tomorrow. Yeah. So it's basically five of the power five collectives that are lobbying from ACC, PAC-12 and SEC I believe there's two from Tennessee that are definitely there with Spire Sports and then a few others. Yeah, Grove Collective. Yeah, Grove from Ole Miss. Yeah, so pretty pretty big names and definitely bigger collectives. I know some of them are even 501c3 status or volunteer-specific collectives. So we have a wide variety of collectives who are going in front of Congress to lobby all different types of points. Um, It seems to be very student-based too, student-athlete oriented, which is like you said, opposite of kind of what we've been seeing, which is very pro-NCAA. It's encouraging. I'm I'm happy that the, you know, Congress is opening up to to have some sort of discussion that would benefit uh, student athletes. I know that there is a lot of favorable, like like we said, there's there's been some leaning favors towards the NCAA. We've had guests on the podcast before that talked about you know Congress and and, and their ability to not really listen to the student athlete side, right? We had Jason Stahl on where he talked, where he was the only one in the room that sounded like he was for students. He was the only one that was really trying to encourage that these student athletes need to be educated and protected. And it seems where it's kind of swaying in the NCAA's favor. But at at the same time, after the the testimony that Jason Stahl was a part of, it really seemed to just kind of go to the wayside here where now it's ramping back up because- of this need for a federal NIL bill and and uh, Charlie Baker and the NCAA is really trying to encourage that. So we'll keep you updated. There's going to be more updates as you're listening to it. It's probably Thursday. So I should have said yesterday and today. Can you, if you're listening to it now, we're recording on Wednesday, which was the first day that they did lobby in front of Congress. But that kind of leads into, you know, People who are excited about the future of NIL. Holly, I know you were in Atlanta for the NIL Summit. Tell me about your experience. Let me know what happened. You know, what was the the kind of itinerary? You know, who was there? Give me it all. You, You were there firsthand. Yeah, it was super fun. I had a great time. It was the Student Athlete NIL and Influencer NIL Summit. So it was 
jam-packed weekend. We had a ton of different events going on, a ton of different sessions, both for athletes and for the school's administrators, lawyers, and really anybody who's interested in the NIL space or wants to become involved with it. It was extremely informative, I believe, for basically anyone who is involved in the NIL space or is looking to get involved. It was a really great event. Um, The first night was Saturday and we had an award ceremony, which was super fun. Flauger from LSU was there. She did a little rap for us, which is super exciting to see. It was a very fun little performance. And then Dennis Collin from Lake Erie, the Popeyes kid, was also there, which was exciting to see. He did do the meme for us a couple times, which was very fun. And then General Booty from OU was there and he kind of showed us the first ever General Booty cream that he has in connection with the Crimson and Cream Collective. I believe it's the first ever cosmetic cream that comes out of an NIL deal that's specific to an athlete. So that was pretty cool to see too. And those are some of the athletes that were there. In regards to speakers, Michael Vick was there, which was super cool. And then coach Trent Dilfer was also there. Colleen Quigley, she actually ran a race on Saturday and then came on Sunday to speak, which was really exciting. She was awesome to kind of get to hear her story and then also learn about a lot of the deals that she started making, obviously she's not in college anymore, so she doesn't make NIL deals, but she does do a lot of personality rights and intellectual property deals. So she was giving advice to a lot of the young girls who were there about how they can maximize their NIL while they're in college. It was just, it was a really great event. Some of the sessions for the student athletes were basically based on how to define their brand and how to really narrow in like their key points. So a lot of students, I think, start out with like this big list of values that they have and that they want to stick to. And then one of the panelists from Meta helped them narrow down that that list into like one specific word that will define their entire brand. Um, So that was really cool to see those students work together to figure out here is my brand and here's what I want to do with my brand basically they also learned how to maximize their money with nil and invesco a couple of visco representatives and a couple stock brokers came and talked to them about the potential for investing their nil money turning it around making sure they save it in ways that is basically responsible so that they aren't just i think one of them the panelists said just don't go out and buy a lamborghini and then not be able to pay the taxes on it (laughs) something like that so They learned a lot about making sure that they're smart with their money while also learning how to like do group licensing deals. And they made a ton of friends, which is really cool. We did a lot of collabs, which was awesome. Sessions for the admin included things like how to stay current with NIL legal matters, kind of what we talk about on the podcast all the time is the different changes that are happening in the legal field and with all the bills that are being passed, how they can keep up with it. And then maybe what student athletes becoming employees will mean for schools, it will mean for admins and how they can adjust to that or prepare for that. And then also one of the most popular sessions was how to build a sustainable collective for your school. So for schools that don't have collectives or for alumni who are looking to build a collective for their school, they can come to this session and learn what makes a good collective. And that was a super popular session that we had. I saw that they had high school athletes there too, which is encouraging. Yeah. Definitely. It looked like it, there was a lot of people there. I think over 500 oh, yeah. student athletes were yeah. present. 
A lot of speakers, like you said, you mentioned a couple of them, and even the brands encouraging the brands to be involved, right? I think I think what's great and what you just highlighted is it's just a it's a and I'm guessing that this is going to be an annual event, right? Uh, so this was a second annual, so so they're going to continue this education based, you know, networking based opportunity for these student athletes, right? Because sometimes as a student athlete, it's difficult, right? If you don't have an agent, if you don't have an idea of, of branding yourself on social media, it's a good way to just learn from people that are around, make connections with other student athletes, brands that are there. I think that's really, really great. So yeah, happy to have you, uh, your boots on the ground there. It was a great, yeah. for you, great experience for you. I'll share one little interesting tidbit that I overheard while I was there is one of the uh, attendees who was there was asking about the EA game that might come out recently or soon within the next couple of years. I'm not exactly sure when, um, how that, how student athletes are going to maybe negotiate their likeness rights with EA to be put into these games. And I think it was General Booty who said it really has to be a collaborative team effort with all the students and student athletes kind of across the nation. Cause if one, if EA comes up to one student is like, Hey, we'll give you like a hundred dollars if you let us use your NIL rights. And that student is immediately like, yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and do that. General Booty thinks that that would kind of be a low ball for these student athletes. Cause he thinks that they could get so much more money because EA knows hey, we have a lot of people looking for this game and a lot of people looking for specific athletes in these games that they want to see, that they want to play as. He thinks that if students kind of come together and these athletes come together and we're like, no, we're going to negotiate with EA. We're going to get like six to $800 for everyone across the board and nobody's going to take these low ball deals that EA might give them. Then they'll have a lot better chance of getting more money because he thinks EA will pay for it. So that was pretty interesting to hear. Yeah, definitely interesting. And I think I think it kind of goes into the news that kind of came out about EA where the it was rumored that the athletes would only get $500 and have really no negotiating power. So the the kind of the news that came out of that is the I think it was the College Football Players Association basically saying that they want to boycott the 2024 EA video game because right. athletes aren't actually getting what their value of their name image likeness actually is and they're just basically saying take it or leave it here's your 500 bucks mm-hmm. we've already negotiated deals with the NCAA and we can use the rights to these colleges and you know this is what you get for your name image likeness so so that's really great that's awesome again really super happy that uh, that you were able to go was it in Atlanta last year too yes it was so it's been at the college football hall of fame i believe they have a partnership with Chick-fil-A College Football Hall of Fame to yeah. do it there every year. So it's pretty nice. awesome. It's a great space. Do they have Chick-fil-A catered? Oh, yeah. We were actually there on a Sunday. So there was no Chick-fil-A this Sunday, but the Saturday and the Monday morning or Monday afternoon, we had Chick-fil-A, which All was right. I'm always I'm always happy about that. Absolutely. That's awesome. All right. So just a couple of other uh, topics, like I said, just short kind of news bursts here. The other news that kind of came out was the NCAA and conferences were starting to kind of look into their signing days and changing the date for for uh, national letters of intent. So as of right now, the national, you know, your national letter of intent day is in December. And there's, you know, football coaches who are talking about that that's difficult now, especially with the transfer portal and, you know, issues with name and likeness with specifically with the transfer portal and that because the coaches are getting ready for bowl games as it comes to December, 
they wanted to move the signing. Day. Well, there's kind of two ways that they said they said that they could move the signing day up where it would be maybe, you know, in November or even September, October, or even as early as August, where, you know, your signing day could be. And then for high school athletes, right. They could sign August of their senior year. So they could sign with a school and then play their senior year. That posed a couple of issues where there was the potential for that changing the way that that athlete, because that basically that athlete wouldn't play or maybe would be encouraged not to play their senior year. And then the other option is, you know, really sign as soon as your senior year starts, you could sign whenever. So kind of make sure that the, the high school athlete is playing in their senior year. And then you could kind of make it, make it, you know, you could sign up whenever for the National Letter of Intent Day. Now, I, I think there's a few different things, you know, going back and forth where I think it might ultimately just move up maybe a month, maybe if anything. I do see that it potentially could pose an issue with high school athletes, like not choo- choosing not to play their senior year because they're like already focused on college instead of high school at that point. The other thing that uh, the NCAA is looking at is the IAWP rule, the individual associated with prospective student athlete. Now, this was implemented in 2017, where it was a way to discourage the inducements of schools going after other individuals who are close with a prospective student athlete as a way to encourage them to go to that school. I, I worked for the Syracuse University's compliance office, and this was huge. This is a lot of what I did. Anytime we hired anybody, we would have to do an IAWP check to make sure that there's no conflicts with any recruits that we already had or people who are on our list that we were looking to recruit because that would then restrict us from going after that recruit because it would be an IAWP violation. Now, most of this was occurring where, where for instance, you know, say I was a Syracuse football and I wanted to go after a UCLA player. And instead of, you know, to make sure that there wasn't any sort of violation that you're speaking directly to the athlete, I would go and say, hey, I know that this athlete's very close with this particular assistant strength coach. Let me go hire him, bring him to Syracuse, and then talk to that coach to have him talk to this player on the side and say, hey, you know, Syracuse has a great program. I know you aren't really happy with UCLA. Maybe you should take the shift over here. Or we can do some great things here. So that was the, the 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 idea and the goal. However, it was so broad that the issues were arising where it was very difficult to monitor and difficult for schools to particularly go through the IAWP process. I remember we hired a tutor one time and I had to do an IAWP and there was an issue where he was like friends with a student athlete on, it might've been basketball or football, I can't remember, who was a potential prospective student athlete. So there was an issue with the tutor. And then, so it, it was, it's it's always been kind of, nobody really liked the IWP rule since they kind of passed it. But it's kind of gone to the wayside because NIL is now the the actual inducement, right? People are more worried about right. inducements coming from, from NIL uh, instead of IWP. So now they're basically just saying, just do away with IWP because it's not really an issue because that's less of an inducement. I can now just induce somebody with money and that's easier than paying a, a strength coach. But what do you think about, you know, the new rules, the NLI day and, and IWP, you know, as it relates, I guess, to NIL really taking over the space? Yeah, it's super interesting. I think just the idea potentially of letting students kind of sign whenever their senior year begins. I think it could help improve recruiting um, without maybe the need of NIL. Like 
right now colleges might think we need to figure out a way to recruit these students via using their NIL rights or proving that we have a good NIL program or collective. Um, but if students are allowed to kind of just sign as soon as their senior year begins, that could definitely improve recruiting and then potentially moving the signing day. Uh, uh, kind of like you said, would student athletes just like skip their senior year if they could sign in August? I know the SEC commissioner Sankey, Greg Sankey said, what if we just move the sign day back instead of forward back to January instead? And then all these college coaches can then look at kind of like the transfer portal and what students are trying to potentially leave and what roles they need to fill. And that could be a potential where students still play their senior year of high school and then just have the option to sign in January instead. I'm not sure how high school students would feel about that, but, you know, it's very interesting. And with the IAWP, like you said, it's been kind of hard to control since 2017. It's hard to monitor. So I'm, I'm all good with kind of doing away with it. I'm fine with it going away. Hire any tutor you want. Hire all the strength <laughs> That's <coaches>. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, this is just a, uh, it was just an article that kind of came out by uh, Ross Dellinger where called the you know, NCAA and these conferences are, are looking at, at these rules. I mean, I, I honestly think that they should be more focused on coming up with NIL bills and NIL like rules, but whatever. Uh, whatever, whatever, as long as they're progressing forward. That's right. So final, final topic here, BYU football program. They are sponsored by Built Protein and a little controversy kind of happened <laughs> where they have a deal. They have an NIL deal. It's very encouraging to walk-ons. They're paying walk-ons and, and scholarship athletes. But as it relates to a piece of the deal that was maybe misunderstood by student athletes. So what, what, What's going on at BYU, Holly? Yeah, so this Built Bar CEO, Nick Greer, said that they were going to be paying the full tuition for all walk-ons, and then they would provide all their scholarship players with 100 k each. But then on top of that, all the players would receive a split of 15% of profits from a specific bar, which is called the Cougar Tail Bar, and that was specifically made for this NIL deal. It's a BYU-based bar, basically. And so all student athletes who signed the NIL contract with Built Bar would receive 15%, or they would all split the 15% of the profits from this specific Cougar Tail bar. Basically, Built Bar paid the tuition for the walk-on students and paid the scholarship athletes the $1,000 each, but there was some misunderstanding of whether or not the students had been receiving the 15% of the revenue from the Cougar bar. So some of the football players said they didn't receive payments from the revenue from this bar. The school was saying that they received all the payments they were supposed to. The coaches said that they were receiving the right amounts. Um, It was just a lot of confusion around it. So it's interesting because the student athletes yeah. kind of controlled the 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 narrative here, where they said that they, there was this misunderstanding, but it was kind of shocking to Bill and BYU because yeah. the deal was that the that the revenue share would go to the coach, and that would go to some sort of recruiting like budget for the for the program. So they really controlled the narrative here, and then ultimately he gave each athlete an extra $600 to, to yeah. like cover the misunderstanding. But interesting that, you know, you had athletes who were like, oh my God, like built has like changed my life. Like I'm a walk-on student. Like this is crazy. Mm-hmm. 
And even like athletes were like, I don't know what, you know, what these guys are talking about with this misunderstanding. Like if there was any sort of revenue share, like I figured it would come at the end of the year or whatever. Like I, what I'm just like waiting for that to happen. Like, I'm not like upset about it. Built bar has like, you know, built protein has done so many great things for BYU football. Like, I, I don't know why they're causing like a, a fuss here. So it's interesting yeah. that the athletes now controlled the company like that, you know? Yeah, I've definitely. That's what kind of what Greer was saying was that he was, I think he said aggravated, frustrated, and saddened by the football players claiming that they didn't get paid because he said that the company met its financial obligations. And it's also super interesting because I'm pretty sure that BYU is not like top NIL college. Like you don't go to BYU because of its record NIL deals that it's had with companies in the past. This is kind of like the first of its kind that BYU had. So it might be a kind of a lesson for like universities or collectives or even just student athletes in the future to kind of seek out different contractual like education and how to read the contracts because there is a lot of confusing information for a lot of these students this is like the first time they're ever going to be signing a contract like this or receiving payments or even like doing any kind of deals for their NIL rights so kind of making sure that the language is clear is super important I think. Yeah, and I think what's awesome is Built Protein, which is a very popular protein bar, large successful company. It's they're based yeah. out of Utah. It's a it's a home. It's a you know it's a it's a Utah company that's supporting, you know, their local college football program. So I thought it, the the whole deal was really great. So I, I, yeah. it it did just kind of leave a little you know sour taste in your mouth after this being like these athletes were getting everything that they were told that they were going to get and then they're just kind of looking for more. So very interesting. Yeah, but it is interesting. Nothing really came out of it besides like you know the athletes getting an extra six hundred dollars after all this kind of arose. But we'll see if anything does come to light if if anything more uh is to happen here. But like I said, a lot of like talks and updates and and uh you know hopefully progress moving forward here we will definitely keep you updated as it relates to the collectives lobbying in front of congress as well as california's bill and the developments for any sort of revenue sharing we'll definitely have some nlrb updates hopefully by next week if there's any sort of response holly do you have anything else i don't i think we're good looking to see where it goes yeah, definitely. So thank you guys for for tuning in for another NIL hour. For Taryn, who is very, very busy this week, Holly, myself, and all of us here, the whole Conduct Detrimental team, we will see you on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.